Welcome to the Books of Titans podcast, where I seek truth in the world's best books. I'm your host, Eric Rostad, coming to you from the beautiful Books of Titans studio in Franklin, Tennessee. My goal is to read 52 books per year and share what I'm learning. I'll talk a bit about each book, tie ideas together from a variety of genres, and share the one thing I always hope to remember from each book. Today is a special episode. Right beside me here on my desk, I've got the 45 books that I read this year. They're stacked in the order in which I read them. And what I'm going to do is just pick up each one and share the main thing or things that I remember about each book. I've not consulted any notes before this, and so I'm going off of memory. And this is a test. This is the the test. Because one of the reasons I started this project was to figure out ways to help me remember what I read. And so I have different things in place uh, in, in terms of how I take notes in a book, underline a book, review it afterwards. Even this podcast is part of this experiment of ways to help me remember what I read. And so this is where the rubber meets the road. This is the, this is the end of the year test. I'm going to divide this episode into five parts. So the first three segments will consist of 15 books each. And so that will total the 45 books. And then in segment four, I'll share overall stats for the year, my top five books, some common themes, and just some other fun things about the the reading list from, from this year. And then in the final segment, segment five, I'll share a little bit what's going on personally and then what tw- 2021 has in store. So let's get started with the first set of books. Book number one for the year was the Bible. And yes, the Bible. It took me two months. It took me 110 hours. It took me all the way through the end of February with the leap year day. So I finished it on February 29th. And it was amazing. I have never read the Bible straight through. I've I've done different plans where I'll read the Bible throughout the year. But this is the first time just picking up the Bible, starting at the beginning, reading straight through without any other books in between, just just reading it. And I don't think I would have ever done that had it not been for this project and, and not being one of the books on the list for this year. So my main takeaway, well, I, I want to share a few things. Well, one is just the, the one takeaway and the, and the thing I shared in, in that particular episode about the Bible was how the idea of the curse went through the entire Bible. I think the word curse first shows up on page three, of the Bible in Genesis, and it concludes on the f- the actual final page in Revelation. The word curse is there again, and it actually has a narrative arc through the whole thing. You'll you'll find you'll find the word curse in a number of the books of the Bible, and it's actually working its way into a complete narrative. So you you have sixty six different books, and written over a, a period of of thousands of years. And this central idea of, of a curse has a narrative arc through, through that. And that was, that was incredible uh, to, to see that through, work its way through. And then for that to just be one thing that you could take out of reading the Bible, of just one thing that follows kind of a narrative arc through all these, all these books, through the Old Testament and New Testament. Uh, but, but the idea of the curse, and, and if... Uh, if you want some more details, you can go back to that episode where, where I, I highlight that. That was, that was the main thing that uh, I pulled from just reading straight through. I guess some other things are just how when you read, and especially in reading other books 
for this project and, and, and the 44 other books this year, you just see, you see the Bible sprinkled throughout all these other books. And a lot of times it'll be a, it'll be a mention. It's it, the author's not even calling out, it's saying, Hey, I'm, I'm quoting the Bible here or, but it's, it's a reference and you'll notice it. And, and it's, it's, it's neat, but so much, so many, I guess the source of so much of what you read is going to be found in the Bible. I, I do encourage you to read it at some point, just straight through. It's going to take a while. It took me 110 hours, uh, but it it informs so much of of everything else that you're going to be reading. So that's kind of that's some of the main takeaways from reading through the through the Bible. Next book, number two on the list, was Non Obvious Megatrends by Rohit Bhargava. I've read his book the last four or five years, and each each year uh, up into 2020, I don't think he's going to be doing it anymore. He would put out a book at the at the beginning of the year, and it's it's a book of predicted trends. And I don't usually go for these types of books because uh, most often these predictions are wrong. But I, I like Bar- uh, Rohit's approach in in that he's looking at trends in, in how the, he's looking over a variety of sources and he, he shares his process for doing all this. And then he shares what's likely to happen based on existing trends. So it's not like, oh, this is going to happen. It's just kind of like a, a prediction out of the blue. It's it's taking a look at what's already been happening, what's been stewing, and then looking into the future and saying, this this would probably kind of move in this direction. And for 2020 in, in the year we've had, uh, Every, everything was out in the open and everything was different than what, what people thought. But I still liked his approach. And no matter what book of his you pick up, I, I think it's important for you to read at least one. And, and this would be a good one because this is more of a overall as opposed to just a particular year. But um, just that idea of how to how to look at things. I mean, he'll, he'll buy magazines across a, a variety of, of topics and genres. And 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 read books and, and look at websites and, and uh, all sorts of things. Like he's pulling from all these different things to, to try to notice common trends th- throughout. And that's part of what I do with, with books is, is notice certain trends throughout, throughout books. So that's the main thing that sticks out with this one is just his approach to, to considering a, a number of different pieces of information to try to pull overall trends. Book number three, The Sacred Romance by John Eldridge. If you've listened to this podcast before, you know that this is my hinge book. Hinge book is the book that your entire library hinges upon. So uh, I've asked this question of others. What is your hinge book? What is the one book in your library, the one book on your bookshelves that you can attribute every other book on that on your bookshelf to that one book? You know, what is it the book that sparked your interest in reading? Is it the book that sparked an interest in, in reading a particular kind of book? Is it just the book that got you started in reading in general? And I would have to say that The Sacred Romance is that book. I read it in 1999, either 1998 or 1999, and it it just completely changed my life. It changed my uh, reading habits, what I wanted to read, how I viewed media, uh, movies, art, literature. And so I wanted to read it again. I, I hadn't read it since 1999. I wanted to see if it had as big of an impact, uh, if, if 
if the, the ideas were still fresh or if it was just kind of the right book at the right time in 1999. And so that was, uh, it was part of an experiment to, to, to see what, what would happen. And, you know, it didn't pack the punch. It did in 1999. I don't, I don't think, uh, I don't think a book will ever have that same, same impact as, as what this one did, uh, in, in, in setting a, a certain course for my life. But, um, it was interesting to, to revisit it and, and I'm glad I did so. And, so that that was that's the the main thing I remember is is just the going back to a book that that had a tremendous impact and and seeing seeing what uh, if if it would it would do that same same thing again. I guess, I guess the the thing I remember is is just the the worldview it puts forward as well. Um, and so that's the Sacred Romance by John Eldridge, book number four, Teaching a Stone to Talk by Annie Dillard. The thing I remember about this one is just how she would take two ideas or two things that she was observing, uh, maybe the way an animal was was moving, and then tie that into something going on in her life. And the way she did that was so beautiful. I want to read more Annie Dillard. This was my first introduction to her. And but this book is just kind of a, a collection of short, short stories, and the way she would tie stuff together like that was just—it was—it was fascinating. I loved it. Book number five, *Bel Canto* by Ann Patchett. Ann Patchett's a local here in Nashville. She owns a bookstore in Nashville, Parnassus Books, and uh, so I've just wanted to read some of her books. And so this is the one I picked up for this year. And my main thing I remember about this one is well. For grad school, I studied or I worked for, I, I had to finish my degree by working in another country and I worked in Peru. And the building I worked in was right next to the Japanese embassy. I mean, it was like a, it was like a block away. And I just remember that it was just this huge fortress of an, of an embassy. And this book, it's, it's a novel, but it takes place in that embassy. It, it, the back of the book says somewhere in South America, but uh, it becomes obvious that this is that this is in reference to an actual event that happened in Peru where the, the Japanese embassy was, was taken over uh, by terrorists. And so this, this book is set within that, that, uh, that historical event. And so that's kind of the main thing I remember is just, just as I'm reading it, like just having those visuals of, of, uh, of seeing that building and, and, um, and then I, I, I love opera. And so there's this, there's opera references throughout this book. And so uh, I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed this one. Next up, Neil deGrasse Tyson's book, Letters from an Astrophysicist. This was cool. It was just a, a, a book of questions submitted to him. And he was, I guess the, the thing I remember most is his graciousness in his responses and his honesty in his, his responses and his joy of of the universe of big questions and not being afraid of those questions and not being afraid to, to answer them. So this was a quick, quick book, but, uh, but fun in, in that sense. Next up, the great divorce by CS Lewis. CS Lewis is, is my favorite author. So I try to have at least one book of his on each year's list. The great divorce is about a man getting to, uh, some sort of an, an afterlife or, or kind of an in-between afterlife. And it's, it's fascinating in the sense of he, he, at, at, in this book, he still kind of has a choice of if he's going to go heaven or hell. And 
the way it's presented, it just, it, it, it flips things on its head and it, it really makes you think. And it's, it's a unique way of presenting the idea. It's, it's a lot of every moment is contained in this moment type of, of thinking of your decisions on a daily basis have eternal impl- implications. Uh, and so, but just seeing this in different ways in the book is, uh, is really fascinating. Number eight, The Power and the Glory by Graham Greene. This is my first book by Graham Greene. Main thing I remember is he his style is very much like Hemingway, where it, it's, it's I called it staccato, and staccato in music is pop, 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 pop. Uh, the sentences are short, they're powerful, they, they pack a punch like Hemingway. Uh, and and this, this story takes place in in Mexico and kind of in a similar time frame to to Blood Meridian uh, or, or at least enough to where I was thinking a lot about Blood Meridian while reading this and and that happened with a few books on this list. I think this one was was a few few years before uh, where Blood Meridian would have taken place and this one's about a, a, a priest in particular. So just a lot of themes on what it means to be a priest and what it means to be a priest in a society that is against priests uh, and it is killing priests or trying to get them to not preach. Uh, So Graham Greene, The Power and the Glory, I I, I hope to read other Graham Greene books, but uh, this this is my first one and and that's my main thing I remember from that. And what's funny is the next book, number nine, Peace Like a River by Leif Anger, is the opposite in terms of style. Leif Anger, I, I describe as legato and, and just kind of long flowing notes. And, and so it was funny reading those books back to back because Graham Greene's was very staccato, bam, 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 bam. Peace Like a River by Leif Anger, just this beautiful prose. Uh, it takes place in Minnesota. I grew up in Minnesota, so I just—it's uh, a novel. I, I could, could picture a lot of of what uh, what he was writing about, and it was one of those books where, despite the flaws of 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 one of the main characters, you, you want to be that you want to be that man, and so that's that's one of my main takeaways. There's just the beauty of the writing, and then and then also just wanting to be like the father in the book. Uh, I hope to read some other Leifanger as well. After that, Brave New World, so book number 10, Aldous Huxley. The thing that stuck out to me on this one was just the, well, it's a dystopian novel, and it's a dystopian novel that the people in it have placed themselves in, and it's out of, of seeking after pleasure. So if you contrast that with 1984, where it's kind of a this top-down government taking control and it's dystopia because it's just so horrible. Uh, Brave New World is more about the people choosing to to just entertain themselves endlessly. And there's a, a pill, Soma, where where you, you you're just happy all the time. And and you can you, you just see a lot of parallels. I mean you, you can get numb to life by pills and and by seeking it after entertainment and not actually living life. And what if everyone was going down that path and everyone was just seeking after that pleasure so much that you, you just get taken over and, and it's a pleasure taking over as opposed to a a foreign power or a, uh, a totalitarian government. So it was interesting, uh, looking at it in, in that sense. And then also the, the parts of the, so it takes place in 
what was maybe formerly London or, or, or in, in England, uh, because this is a book in the future, but they, they travel to America to look at these native tribes and they're, the people are fascinated by the, that these people get, they, they actually get married and there's these traditions that they have and just a really unique way of, of, um, of, of looking at life and, and a potential future. Next up, The Orphan Mother by Robert Hicks. Robert Hicks is a local author here in Franklin, Tennessee, and I read his, his other book last, last year, and uh, The Widow of the South. And so this is a book that takes place in, right after that, uh, and, and so this is a novel. And this is, The Orphan Mother is um, uh, a, a former slave in the Franklin, Tennessee area who becomes free, and, and this is the that transition, like the, the, the wars just happened, the emancipation proclamation. So now this woman is free, but she's living in a society that was formerly slave. And it takes place in Franklin, Tennessee, right where I live. So it, it, it was neat in that sense of just being able to picture everything going on. But then this, this transition, like what would that have been like to, to have been a former slave? So you're around the people that were formerly your, your, your owners, uh, you're around a society that, that that in which you were formerly a slave, and now you're free. But oh, that that transition um, it just really brought to life in a, in a painful way uh, in in this novel. But uh, I enjoyed this one. After that was uh, Furious Hours by Casey Kep, and Furious Hours is is a book about a serial killer in. Alabama in the 1970s. And what was interesting, so the author actually sent me this book or her publisher did, and uh, I I added it to my list. And what was funny is it took place in Alexander City, Alabama. So this is a a nonfiction book about true events. And I used to go to Alexander City because I worked at Russell Corporation. And uh, Russell Corporation, they make athletic apparel, and they they started in Alexander City, Alabama, in 1902, and they still had a lot of uh, warehouses and, and factories and and, and, sort, and offices in Alexander City. So I worked in their Atlanta office, but I would often travel to to Alec, Alex City, as they called it. And so it was just fascinating because um, this was a town that I used to go to and hear all these events, and I had no idea that this had taken place in the 70s, uh, but it was such a huge, huge event at the time. So that was interesting. And then uh, the book at the end, it ties in Harper Lee. So Harper Lee was very, was fascinated by this serial killer and there, there was a trial. And so she went to this trial and was planning to write a book about it. And it, the book never came out. Uh, she's friends with Truman Capote, Capote at this time. All this stuff I had no idea and all tied to this, this story of a serial killer. So fascinating book in, in a lot of different ways. And yeah, Furious Hours. I'm glad some of the, some really good surprises of books have been those that have been sent to me this year. Uh, I've got to move over to another list here or another stack to pick up uh, the next book. And that was Hamlet. First off, I had to put Hamlet aside for a little bit. Uh, I'll get into this in the section where I talk about just personal uh, and things that happened in 2020. But uh, I, I just did, did not have the brain power the first time I read Hamlet. I, w- I was in the midst of a 
a big job and I just, when I was trying to read it, I just couldn't keep everything straight. I couldn't keep the character straight. And so I actually had to put this book to the side for a little bit and then, and then come back to it. But, uh, I'm glad I did. I saw Hamlet at the Globe Theater in 19 or in, in the year two, in the summer of 2000 and, um, and read it for the first time then. And then, uh, you know, just, just read it again for, for this year. So part of it was that experiment of, of reading, uh, a book I really enjoyed uh, for a second time, and then the other part of it is just—it's Hamlet. I mean, it's—it's it's fascinating. It's there's so many quotes in there that you that you remember. Um, so that there's kind of the main main takeaway: reading it again and just the beauty of the of that book. After that, between the world and me by Tanahesi Ta- Coates. Uh, What's funny is I had this on my list and it was a book suggested to me and I read it and recorded a podcast on it right before all of, uh, right before George Floyd, all before the, the protests and all that this, this year. And so it, it, I did not read it in reaction to that. I did not read it as, uh, picking up uh, books on the topic after the fact, but it, it was one of those books, and this happened a few times this year, where the timing was was just incredible. And so th- this book, I he introduced some some words and ideas that would just jar you, and that was the thing I remember the most. It and just you know why is he using that phrase? And and it really just makes you think and makes you look at the world in a different way and 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 through his perspective. And it's a letter he wrote to his son about race relations. And, and, but man, it's, it was, it, it just helped to, to make it real and to, to put it in different terms than, than what you're used to hearing. And, and it's, it was, so it packed a punch in that sense. It, uh, it was, uh, it was a short book, but, uh, but very impactful. Next up after that, Destiny Disrupted by Mir Tamim Ansari. And this is a book, the tagline is A History of the World Through Islamic Eyes. This was one of my favorites for the year. I This was incredible because it, it basically puts forward the history of the world since like 600 AD, but through Islamic eyes, through a Eastern perspective. And especially in Islamic perspective. So events that we in the West see in a particular way, this book would present it in a different way. And it was fascinating. And I think it's very important to read books like that, that challenge our ways of, of looking at the world. Uh, I, I always think back to, to War and Peace, where you're getting... You're getting the Napoleonic Wars through Russian eyes. You're also getting it through Napoleon's eyes. You're seeing different ways of looking at that war. Uh, it's called the Napoleonic Wars, but <laughs> what's it called in Russia? It's probably not called that. Uh, so just looking at history, looking at wars, looking at uh, battles from different perspectives is, is fascinating. And, and Destiny Disrupted, I, I found this to be a very enlightening and, and helpful book in that sense. So that's the first 15 books. Take a little break here and get into the next 15.
All right, book number 16, Crime and Punishment by Dostoevsky. This, uh, so I mentioned in, in the first segment, uh, The Sacred Romance being my hinge book. And that led me to Crime and Punishment. That that book was was mentioned throughout The Sacred Romance. And so I wanted to, I wanted to read a classic and I wanted to, to, to this, well, this is the one that I started with, Crime and Punishment, after reading Sacred Romance. So I read this for the first time in, um, in probably 1999. And it, it had a big impact because I just couldn't believe how amazing the book was. And it got me on the path of wanting to read more of the classics. So again, this was kind of another experiment to see what this book would hold reading it 20, 20 odd years later. And it was amazing. Uh, this is, this is still one of my favorite books, one of my favorite novels. And Man, just the the description of the the crime. So uh, the the Raskolnikov is the protagonist, and he thinks he can create. He thinks he can murder without any ramifications on his his life. I mean, he thinks he can get away with with murder. And the book is an exploration of that question: Can you? Uh, not just by the law. He 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 knew that he could get away with it from the law. But inside, uh, looking at yourself in the mirror, can you get away with murder in, inside your head? And so the book is an exploration of that, that question, and it's a brilliant exploration of that, that question. So Crime and Punishment, uh, great, great one. One of my favorites for the year. Next up, number 17, The Highlander's Last Song by George MacDonald. George MacDonald is a Scottish author from the 1800s, and he is my wife's favorite author, so I try to have one book by him per year. He's also a main, a, a huge influence on people like Neil Gaiman, C.S. Lewis, and J.R.R. Tolkien. So this was uh, this is a novel that that takes place around the time of the clearances, which in in British history is when England removed a lot of the Highlanders from the Scottish Highlanders from from the north of, of Scotland. And in, in many ways, it was just to clear land so that uh, rich people from England could go up there and, and hunt. And, you know, these having these people on the hunting grounds was was troublesome. So uh, they, they were just removed. And a lot of people died that way. A lot of people uh, emigrated to either Ireland or the United States or Canada during this time. Uh, but but this this novel is about one one particular group of, of people and the 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 chief the the person in charge of that that group and it's one of those books kind of like Leifanger's book where you you want to be the protagonist he's such a, a man of of character and honor that you want to be him but and and you you don't see him in a in a good light all the time i mean he's he's having to deal with just tremendously hard things uh but the way he goes about it it's it's one of those books where i you know Crime and Punishment, you do not want to be the protagonist. Uh, it's a very trouble, troubled man, troubled life. But uh, The Highlander's Last Song, it, it's just a beautiful book and, and one where you want to be that person. Next up, Range, book 18 by David Epstein, Why Generalists Triumph in a Specialized World. This, I, 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 I liked this one and I liked it. Uh, the one main thing that I remember from it is that he calls the world a wicked world, and, and by wicked he means that you're never going to have enough information 
for a given situation. And this comes up all the times in, in other books, especially history books for that have read for this project. You know, when people are making decisions, it's not, oh, this is clear. You know, I had 100% certainty that this was the right answer. So sometimes you have 50%, sometimes 80, sometimes 20. And, and people are making just big decisions in, in those kind of situations. So one of the questions David Epstein asks in this book is, in, in that type of situation, is it better to be a specialist or a generalist? Is it better to just have all the all of the knowledge ever about one particular topic, or is it to better better to to have dipped your toe in a v- wide variety of fields and and gather and information from a, a, a wide variety and make connections from those those varieties of of topics, um, kind of similar to the the what I was mentioning in the first first section, the first set of books of let's see that was non-obvious megatrends where he's he's taking all these different sources and and pulling main topics and themes from that so it's kind of that idea and and obviously from the title of the book range you 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 come to understand that that generalists do triumph in, in the specialized world so a good good book in that sense and and i kind of thought going into it I knew what he was going to say, but uh, but there were some some nice surprises and, and bits of wisdom in, in that book. After that, book 19, The Great Gatsby by Fitzgerald. Had to read this in high school, so this was another book on the list this year as part of that experiment to see if books that I read in the past, if they would have a different meaning reading them 20 years later. Great Gatsby, I hated it in high school. Hated it. Had to read it, was forced to read it, hated it. This time around, it w- it made my top five. <laughs> I just I, I loved it. I, it. It was incredible, and 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 I don't know why they have kids read this book because I think to a certain degree you need to have some life experience to understand this book. To me, this year, this book I, I turned forty this year. This book was about nostalgia. This book was about a, a Gatsby who is seeking after the past with full force and how he's seeking after the past is in a woman. He wants this woman. He, he loved her in the past, but there's a problem. She's married now. So what, what his whole life is about trying to get this, this woman back and this nostalgia and and seeking after this. And, And you see the devastation that, 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 that brings. So you could read a book, uh, maybe a nonfiction book, on how oh, you know, nostalgia, nostalgia is good in some senses, but it's bad in others, and you know, you shouldn't pine after what's in the past and all that. You could read a, a paragraph of of something that says that, or you could read this book, and you could see the utter devastation that it brings. You could see the good parts of nostalgia, but you could see the bad parts as well, and the bad parts are just tremendously bad. And that was my main takeaway from reading. The Great Gatsby this year. But yeah, like I said, first time reading it 20 plus years ago, hating it, and now it, it becoming one of my favorite books for the year. After that, The Aeneid by Virgil. I, I try to read uh, a few classics each year, and this was the this is one of the classics I had, uh, obviously, other than the Bible. So this is book 20. I loved it. I mean, this was this was incredible. It's the story of of the founding of of Rome, and so if you're going to read three classics, you, you would you perhaps start with um, 
start with the Iliad and then go to the Odyssey and then read the Aeneid. Uh, what's what's neat about the Aeneid is it, uh, it it's about a lot of the same gods as are are in Iliad and Odyssey, but it's from the Latin side as opposed to the Greek side. So some of the gods' names are different. And in the version of the book I had, it had a glossary of the gods and their different names and all that. And so this book just became a joy where you're, you're coming across a god, you go to the the reference in the back, you see what that god's name is in Greek. And um, and just, it's such a fun book. It's such a, a fun story, a lot of tragedy, but just a lot of... Um, just great scenes. I mean, just epic scenes. And it made me want to reread the Iliad and the Odyssey. And this is just, it's just one of those books again, that, um, that it, it should be read and it helps you know about, well, when you're reading other books, it, it will reference the Aeneid a lot and, and, and characters and gods from this book. So it's, it's, it's an important book in that sense. The, the other thing I, I thought about a lot while reading this book is just the, the ideas of the afterlife. And this came up a lot when I was reading the Bible as well. We have a lot of ideas about heaven and hell that aren't necessarily in the Bible, uh, but there's some in the Aeneid and then there's some in other books. So I, I one question I had throughout this year was just, where do we get these ideas of the afterlife? Are they, are they from the Bible? Or are they from... Other books are they from? You know, what, the ideas that we have, even in in modern day Christianity, what what where do those come from? And are they are they from the Bible? Are, are are they from the place they should be for a Christian, or are we getting stuff from all over the place? Uh, and and there's a book that I'm going to put on my 2022 reading list that that addresses that issue of of the ideas of heaven and hell and and how they've come about through the through the ages. So I'm looking forward to that one. But but uh, just through some of the books that I read this year, that it, that's just kind of a question that that came up that I that I want to explore deeper. Book twenty one, and then there were none by Agatha Christie. I try to have a, a one Agatha Christie book each year, and if you're if you're new to, to reading or you're wanting to get into reading, these are great books because they're short, and they they help you build your reading comprehension because it's it is a it's a murder mystery each each of her books. And so you have to pay very close attention. And so I find myself taking a lot of notes, uh, underlining a lot. Every time a character comes up, I, I'll write them in the back, write notes about them, because I'm, I'm trying to solve the murder as she is writing about it. And you have to pay very close attention in order to do that. So the, the thing I remember most about this book is that I had no idea who was the killer. And so I was surprised at the end. I usually am surprised in, in her books. And, and then just that other piece of it being a great book to test and hone your reading comprehension skills. After that, book 22, Permanent Record by Edward Snowden. Uh, I am sympathetic to Snowden. I, I think he did an important thing in, in what he released. I don't think that uh, it, it was as uh, I don't think a lot a lot of people got hurt or or exposed from his revelations. I, th- I think it was a good thing and I think those things needed to be exposed. And so I wanted to learn more about him and I wanted to learn more about his life. And 
the the main thing that stuck out to me was that Snowden was, I guess, convicted in a sense of the role he had at his work by the Constitution and, and by our founding documents. And that's what ultimately led him to to share what he was learning, because it was against our principles. It was against what we were founded as, uh, as a nation. And that comes up a lot. Uh, uh, some of the most powerful things are when people look back at certain documents or ideals and say, hey, you, these are the ideals that you guys say that you're living by, but you're not. Here's where it's gone wrong. Here's how we can get back to those ideals. We'll see that in, in one of my favorite books for the year, uh, the, the Life of Frederick Douglass, Prophet of Freedom. Um, I'll cover that in the next segment. But he did the same thing. He pointed back to the prophets. He, uh, Frederick Douglass did. He pointed back to the prophets, to, to the Old Testament, to the New Testament. He pointed to the founding documents. And Martin Luther King Jr. did that as well, where he, he was saying, you guys are not living by the ideals that you've set out. And to see Snowden say that same thing, that, w- that was the thing that I remember most. Next up, The Storm-Tossed Family by Russell Moore. How the Cross Reshapes the Home. The main thing I remember from this book was, <laughs> this happens a lot, but it's just a, kind of a tidbit that came up in the book. And it's just a, a one paragraph. And, and it's a, a story where um, the author that was had a strained relationship, a broken relationship with, with a dear friend. And he was just distraught about it. And he was talking to an old friend uh, 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 or an old man who was kind of a mentor to him. And the mentor pointed out the problem. And, and he says this, you're viewing your life in, in a narrative format. You're viewing your life that if something comes into your life and it's a problem, it has to be resolved. And sometimes that's not going to happen. Sometimes your your life and things in your life, it, it's not going to have this narrative arc. And that stuck out to me so much because that is a, a common theme I see throughout these books. Uh, uh, the importance of a narrative, of people having a narrative for their lives, of having uh, news organizations having a narrative for how each piece of news filters through that organization. Narrative is such a huge part of our lives. Uh, we identify with a particular narrative. And so subconsciously, we're thinking, as things come into our lives, they need to have that same narrative arc. They need, they need to have, uh, if, if there's a problem with somebody or a problem in our life, it needs to be resolved. And, and, and if you're like me, it needs to be resolved quickly and fast. And that's just not how life works. And so that, that one paragraph, that one that one part of this book, it's, it's something that stuck out to me and freed me in a lot of ways in the, in the sense of not everything is going to have a nice tidy ending and, and that's okay. And you just need to be aware of that and that you are viewing your life in a narrative way and, and it, it's not going to be that way. Next up, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes by Suzanne Collins. This is kind of the prequel to the Hunger Games series if, if you've read the Hunger Games and the thing that stuck out to me about this one is this is about Snow, the president in the later Hunger Games book, but this is about his early life. And what's fascinating is you see 
small choices, seemingly insignificant choices at the time, how they led to Snow becoming just this monster, this evil man in the later Hunger Games books. And it ties into a lot of the the other books for this project of, of the importance of, of daily habits, daily decisions, and how most of the time they seem insignificant. You might be by yourself. No one else knows what you're doing. No one else knows what you're thinking. But th- that's actually really important. And how you handle that, how you deal with that, how you behave by yourself in your own mind has ramifications and it's leading you one way or another in, in your life. And so to see that played out in this person's life was, was really interesting because you, because in the later hunger games books, you you see, you see how that played out and how that impacted an entire uh, country. Next up the Romanovs by Simon Sabag Montefiore. This is my second book by this author. The first one I read was Jerusalem. Fascinating book. I read that in 2018 for this project. The Romanovs. I just I had I did, did not know a single thing about the Romanovs, and I this was so fascinating. I I just ate this book up. I, I loved it, and it's a fascinating history. It's 1613 through 1918, right up to when the communists took over Russia. And the history is just fascinating history and, and not knowing a lot about it. Uh, I, I loved this book. It, w- it was one of my favorites for the, for the year. Uh, I guess the thing that sticks out the most is just the tragedy of the, of the final SAR, uh, of the scene of their execution. I mean, the, the whole family executed and man, it, it, it was it was, it was hard to read, uh, but, uh, but a very important book. After that, Anti-Fragile by Nassim Nicholas Taleb. This is my favorite book by, by him. I've, uh, this is the fourth one I've read by him for this project. And this, this one is, is an important book. Um, I would say this is one that will help you read a number of the other books. And the ideas here are, 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 very important. Uh, the the main idea of the book, anti fragile, is that we are not we're not fragile, but we're not uh, robust either. So if if you think about it in the sense of a of a package you're sending, you might write fragile on the package because there's there's glass inside of it or something. So what's what's the opposite of of that? And it it would be robust, right? Where it it, it wouldn't break. But that's not robust. The, the opposite of fragile would actually be anti-fragile because the opposite of, of being so careful with something that if you slightly drop it, it might break. The opposite of that would be you, you could throw it against the wall and it might get hurt, but, but it'll be okay. And he says people are that way as well. We're, we're, not, we're not fragile. And if you, if you treat people as fragile, uh, there'll be bad ramifications for that. But people are also not fully robust. They're, they're anti-fragile. And they grow with pain. Uh, and you, you can see this every time you go to the gym. You're, you're going to be sore after the, the day you go to the gym. But your muscles are actually breaking, but then rebuilding and, and, be, and coming back stronger. And that's the way people are. And, and, and 
really important book and really important ideas. You'll see these ideas pop up in, in a number of other books as well. The idea, the anti-fragile ideal idea was a big part of the book that I read last year, the coddling of the American mind that they, they bring the idea of anti-fragility up. So <clears throat> one of those books that, uh, that will inform a lot of other books that, that you read. After that, News of the World by Paulette Giles. And I see that uh, this is now a movie with Tom Hanks. The main thing I remember about this one is, is kind of like uh, The Power and the Glory, where it actually it, it, it brought that, that part of that world of where Blood Meridian kind of starts to take place, uh, because it takes place in, in Texas, it takes place in the late 1800s, and it's still where uh, there there are many fights between the people in Texas and the Indians, the Indian tribes, and in fact, the Indian tribes kidnap a child in this this book, and then uh, that that child is released, and it and it's a man who goes around sharing news of the world, and he takes this 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 girl back to her to her family. Uh, that's another fascinating piece of the book is just news of the world back in that time there there would have been a traveling newsman who would have gotten newspapers from around the world and then he would have just gone town to town to read what was actually happening so just a lot lot different than our our twitter verse these days after that the quick adios by tom corcoran he is an author in key west and i met him in the, a local bookstore here in franklin tennessee he was he was in town and i told him i would read one of his books so this was a, a just a fun summer reading uh, murder mystery that takes place in Key West. Tom Cor- Corcoran is a, a friend of Jimmy Buffett's and and used to be a photographer for him. Actually wrote, co-wrote a few songs with him as well. Uh, so this was, was a fun, fun book uh, that takes place in, in Key West. Next up, The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood. And another dystopian novel, uh, but a unique one in the sense that it's it's dystopian in the sense of a kind of an ultra-Orthodox, ultra-religious group taking power. And so another just kind of a neat way of, of considering the future, uh, considering a dystopian future, but from that vantage. After that, in the final book for this segment, Struck by Russ Ramsey. Russ Ramsey is my pastor, and this is the book about him and his heart defect that uh, he got a bacterial infection in his heart and it nearly killed him. He had to have an immediate surgery. And, um, and so it's, it's reflections on that, it's reflections on death. He had to create a will and, and all that. He, you know, he, he, didn't, he wasn't sure that he would make it, make it through that and through this. And, and he did, but it's, it's kind of like C.S. Lewis's A Grief Observed, but uh, but with the, with this heart thing, and what's fascinating is Russ recently adopted a child who has a heart defect. And while I was reading this book, that child was in surgery, uh, getting help for for the heart. So it's just fascinating to read that the father, a, a book by the the father, and and then while I'm reading it, his own son is going through the same. Uh, or a similar situation with with his heart, so. But but a powerful book in in that sense of just reflecting on 
what you're going, you know, kind of the stages of grief and, and, and all that while he's going through through uh, through this this problem with him. All right, now to the final segment of books. So book 31, draft number four by John McPhee. This is one that Timothy Ferris talks about a lot. Ferris had McPhee as a professor at Princeton. And this this is a book about writing. And I always find that books about writing help me to become a better reader because you kind of see behind the curtain a little bit. The thing that stuck out to me the most in draft number four is that McPhee would, would... come up with book structures and put them on his wall and then try to come up with an idea that would fit that structure. (laughs) And I just, I'd never heard about somebody doing that. And it was just such a unique way of approaching writing. Like he wanted to have certain characters doing certain things and fitting within this sort of a structure. So So he would just draw out kind of a map of what he wanted. And then just as he's going about his daily life, look for things that would fit that structure and then write about it. And he's got plenty, plenty of books out there. He's got a a book about oranges, a book about one tennis match. And he's just kind of the master of, of picking one idea and and going deep into it. But to, to see behind the curtain, I I guess, and see how he would think about different structures was, was just fascinating. And so I hope to read some John McPhee books coming up and the next one I want to read, and that will probably be part of my 2022 reading list, is uh, the, his book about oranges. After that, book 32, Davey, uh, David Crockett, The Lion of the West. I try to have one book a year about Tennessee history. I live in Tennessee now, and um, and so this was the the book I chose. Uh, fascinating life. I did I. It was one of those books where it's the question of man versus myth uh, that came up in one of my final books for the year, The Life of Wallace, The Life of, of William Wallace. So the, these men that, be, that begin to take on mythical qualities and what's true and what's not. And, and those books are fun to read because you, you kind of have an idea. You, maybe you've seen movies or shows about a particular person, but to, to learn about their actual life that's it it that's fun so that that was kind of one of these books something that stuck out is just uh the end of his life at at the alamo uh he was he was killed there uh, most likely executed after being after being captured and just how his life led up to that uh it was it was kind of a a sad family life uh and and just sad life in general he's being celebrated around the world in, in different plays and, and, and stuff like that. And while that's happening, he's at home by himself, uh, miserable. And I, I guess just that man versus myth thing and, and seeing what, what actually happened uh, is, is, is really fascinating. After that, Glory and Honor, a book about Bach by Gregory Wilbur. Gregory, Gregory Wilbur is a local author. I met him a few years ago. Uh, last year, actually, 2019. And he has the library of libraries. He's got an office which just, it's just wall to wall bookshelves. Some of the bookshelves actually jut out of the wall. He has so many. And uh, it was just, I I met with him one time in in his office and just kind of asked him about different books. And it, it was awesome. But he's written a book about Bach. And so I, I, 
don't don't recall recall anything in particular about this book other than just uh, the man's entire life and, and the the full work that he put out. And so it's a, a quick read, but um, but yeah, very very interesting about about the man's kind of overall work in in his life. After that, I, I switched things up. These were books that were not a part of my original reading list. And I try not to, to make changes, but I did make changes because, well, I was on a run one morning and I was thinking, you know, there's an election coming up and I, I know next to nothing about any of the candidates. Sure, I know the 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 good and the bad in the sense of, of the, the way they're portray, portrayed in media, um, but I don't know anything about their lives. I don't know their main policy positions and, and how they came to those policy positions. And so I decided to take out four books from my original reading list and, and add four books about each of the candidates for president and vice president. So I picked out a book about Kamala Harris, Donald Trump, Joe Biden, and Mike Pence. Uh, it, it was difficult in the sense of not everyone had a book that fit the mold in the sense of this is a book about my life and then here are my policy positions. Um, Kamala Harris's and Joe Biden's to some degree were that, but Donald Trump, the book I picked about him was called Crippled America. And it seems to just kind of be a book that was put out quickly in 2016 to, to share some of his views. So it's not a whole lot about his, his, his life. Uh, and then for Mike Pence, he does not have a book. So uh, I read a book by his daughter, and she wrote that kind of about the campaign trail leading up to 2016. So it it covers uh, a period of time and then a, a bit into the the beginning of his of his presidency. So again, not, not a book that was written by Mike Pence, but it did contain a lot of information about his life. So I'm going to go through this set right now. Um, yeah, I, I'm glad I did it. I probably will do this from now on where, where I read about each of the candidates because it, it was very helpful and I, I learned a lot. So first up, Kamala Harris, the thing that stuck out to me uh, in, in this book was that when given the chance to become the Attorney General of the United States, as in Eric Holder called her and said, are you interested in the position? She was she was attorney general for California at the, at the time. And she said, no, I don't want the position because I still have things that are pending in California. I want to make sure those get done. And no one would have faulted her for, for taking that role. Uh, she would have been working for one of her heroes, Obama, and she turned it down. And and I, I just thought that said a lot about her because she, that was like her dream. That's like the, the pinnacle for her career as a lawyer. I mean, to, to have that position and she turned it down to be able to finish what she was working on in California. Next up crippled America by Trump thing that stuck out to me is just the, the sheer amount of built buildings. The man owns the back of the book, uh, highlights the, what he owns. It's kind of a, a rap sheet of, of his financials. And it's, it's astounding. I mean, he's just got buildings all over the world. And, um, again, this book didn't have a whole lot of, uh, of information about his, his life per se, maybe more would have been in some of his other books, but I wanted to read one that had some of his poly policy issues as well. So that, uh, it, it did have some policy things, but not a whole lot. It was more just, here's 
kind of a main idea. And then I'm just going to hire a bunch of people who can help me uh, figure it out. After that, Joe Biden and the book I read by him was Promises to Keep. He has a newer book that is about his son passing, but uh, Promises to Keep was written before 2008. And he was actually a presidential nominee at that point. So it's kind of written in, in that sense of, of, um, uh, so it, it was a good book in in that way of of learning about his life, but then also about his his policy positions. Thing that stuck out to me the most about about his book was just his his experience and his uh, his meetings with different world leaders. And again, I, I I did not know a lot about any of these candidates, and so uh, a, a lot of the information was was new to me. The final book. Uh, uh, written by Charlotte Pence, Where You Go, Life Lessons from My Father. So again, this is the one written about, to some degree, about Mike, Mike Pence, but written by his his daughter. And the thing that stuck out to me was just the, he's just a solid, solid guy. Uh, his his family life, his the, the way he raised his daughter um, was, was really, was really neat and really interesting. And so it would have been nice to have a book from his his words, from his point of view, but uh, this was as close as I could get. And yeah, I, I, I really respected the the man after after reading that book. After that, The Wind-Up Bird Chronicle by Haruki Murakami. This is my third Murakami book, my second novel by him. The first book I read was his book about running. And my, my main takeaway here is that I have no idea what happened. I mean, I, I know I, I wrote out like the the entire situation of the book, the characters, but I don't know how it all ties together. So I'm hoping that someone who's listening to this can tell me how it all fits together. And so, yeah, I, I was kind of confused at the end. I thought there might be more of a tidy closing to the book. And I think there is. I think I just missed it. And even after writing out all the characters and all the things they did and you know, meticulous about that. It, it's not that I, I wasn't paying attention, which which happens in some books I read. This, I, I just don't know how it all fits together. So that's my main takeaway. I, I did enjoy the book, but um, but yeah. After that, Blood Meridian. And this was another book that I added to this year's reading list. And the reason I added it is because I read this in 2017 for the project. And it is the book I hated the most. I mean, if you if, if I ranked every single book, I would put this at the absolute bottom. And that was after my 2017 reading. It was so violent and gory, I couldn't get past that in the first reading. And uh, another reason is the podcast episode that, that we did for Blood Meridian gets just the, the worst feedback because we didn't really cover the book. We just shared how much we hated the book, uh, Jason and I did. And so I, I didn't think that was fair. I thought I needed to re-record a podcast about Blood Meridian that actually talked about the book and not just how much I hated it. And so that was the reason I, I reread it. Uh, it was also an experiment of sorts to see if I would have a different reaction to it this time. And I did. And I was really surprised. I, I went from kind of a one-star rating for the book to a four-star rating. And I appreciated it a lot more. Um, I think the shock of the violence wasn't as strong this time. And so 
I, I was able to see some things that he was doing. And the, the thing that stuck out to me the most this time was how Cormac McCarthy would have different events happen that were slightly different and they would happen in different parts of the book, but they informed each other. So one might be a story that, that, uh, the judge just says as kind of a random story. And you're like, why did he just say that? What's the meaning of that? But then something will happen later on that actually happens to the, the main character in the book, the kid. And you're like, Oh, that that's very similar to what the judge said before, but the judge's story had more details and some things are, were left out in the kid's version of the story. So maybe if we combine those two things, we get a, a fuller picture of what's actually happening here. And that happens throughout this book. And that, that's the thing that stuck out to me. And it helped, it actually, it, it helped. I, I thought about the Bible a lot when reading Blood Meridian because it, what if you read the Bible like that too, of, of looking at one part and saying, okay, this is maybe part of the story. And then I get another part of it here and, and I combine it. And that's, that's kind of how I was approaching the Bible when I read it. I just read it straight through and I read, I, I, I wasn't consulting outside sources. If I had a question, I just wrote the question in the side of the book. And so what Blood Meridian did this time reading it through was was help me to become a better reader in that sense of looking at different pieces of a book almost as a puzzle and remembering them and then tying that in to how it comes up later in the book. So I'm glad I reread it. Uh, I did two episodes on it this time, if, if you're interested in, in learning more. One where I just did a solo episode and then another where uh, Jason and I discussed the book. So... Yeah, that, that kind of blew me away. I was I was not expecting to to actually enjoy it this time. Next up, Frederick Douglass, Prophet of Freedom. This is in my top five for the year. Phenomenal book. But uh, as I stated in that episode, even though the book won a Pulitzer, you don't come away thinking, oh, wow, this author is phenomenal. You come away thinking, oh, wow, Frederick Douglass is a phenomenal man. And, oh, man, I did... I, just kind of fell in love with with Frederick Douglass. And, and I read the narrative of the life of Frederick Douglass last year, and that caused me to, to have interest in reading more about him. And so this this seemed like the best book in it to to do that. And it was. It was it was fascinating. It kind of took off where narrative ended, so you get a fuller picture of the man's life. And oh, it was just fascinating. One one of the there's so much that stuck out to me, but one of the the main things was um was his meetings with Abraham Lincoln. So Frederick Douglass grows up as a slave, just degraded his whole life by different people, uh, beaten as a slave, um, just horrible things. He escapes slavery, and Abraham Lincoln invites him to the White House and is interested in what he says and wants to know what he thinks and calls him a dear friend. Just that, that shift in the man's life is, is incredible. Uh, just amazing. After that, Where the Crawdads Sing by Dahlia Owens. And this is a, a novel, a, a popular one, uh, a, a recent popular one. And um, I enjoyed it. You, you get sucked into the world. It takes place in North Carolina. And you, you, you feel that you're there. And so the author has a background in zoology, and she studied animal behavior. And, and so that comes through very strong in the book. But one, one of my main 
takeaways and <laughs> feel bad for saying this in a, in a way because it, it's kind of like that uh the storm-tossed family where it was like one paragraph that stuck out to me in, in the book this was like a reference to one person that didn't even really have anything to do with the book but it was a reference to an opera singer from the 1930s or 40s and i started listening to that opera singer after reading this book and the reason that's important it, if, if you listen to the the podcast uh, some of the previous episodes i mentioned that i, I was thinking for 2021 of, of building a reading list based on a, a a travel chest i i i got that is contains everything about a woman's life who lived from 1900 to 1999 and she was an opera singer and she traveled around europe she was in Germany right before. She was in Germany in the late 30s, uh, singing opera. She was all over Europe, um, in in New York. Um, but it's everything about this woman's life, and she does not exist online. Like you cannot find anything about her online. But I have this travel chest with every detail of her life. You know, her passports, her diaries, her journals, her her calendar, uh, the programs of where she sang, and so in in where the crawdads sang, coming across this this reference to another opera singer who would have been a contemporary of this, this woman just kind of got me interested. And, uh, I, I do plan to go through that travel, travel chest at some point, but now I kind of have a reference of, of, of seeing maybe did this woman know this opera singer that, that was referenced in where the crawdads sing. Uh, so again, <laughs> kind of feel bad for that being a, a main thing I remember. Cause it is a great, it's a beautiful novel and a, a great story, but, uh, it, one of those things that just kind of sparks an idea that that you have in your head and and um, causes you to go down a certain path. So I'll, I'll probably be exploring that a little more. After that, Survivor's Obligation by Joel Thor Neeb and Chris Strickland. Uh, Joel, I've, I've I've connected with him on Instagram over the past three years, and he lives in Atlanta. He was a former fighter pilot, and he got cancer. The same time period as as his son was having uh, major major health issues and then Chris Strickland uh, was a a pilot with the Blue Angels and he his he, he's a survivor in that his plane crashed he he got out right before it crashed I mean milliseconds before it crashed and so it, it this book is by both of them and, and and it's a description of now that we've survived what is our obligation what, uh, how does that change how we live? And what's fascinating is that so many ideas that come through in a lot of the books I've read for this project are encapsulated in this book, the importance of time, the importance of, of training your, your mind for when bad things happen, the importance of daily habits of, of how to get through a tragedy. Um, just so many, so many ideas are, are, are in this short book. And so I, I, I really enjoyed it in, in that sense. And then my uncle's a, a pilot. And so just uh, a lot of even the, the, the planes they trained on, the T-38s and that kind of thing, just kind of got uh, geeked out on, on a lot of those descriptions. So Survivor's Obligation, Navigating an Intentional Life. After that, book 43, Life of Wallace by James Patterson. And no, not that James Patterson. This is a James Patterson from the 1800s in Scotland. And I picked up this book in Edinburgh at a uh, used bookstore, the Gently Mad Bookstore. I picked it up a couple of years ago in 2018. And it was released, it was published in 1898. And there is a, 
sticker in the front of the book for Springburn School Board, Albert Evening Continuation School, session 1898 to 1899. This book was a prize awarded to one James Henderson for complete attendance and good conduct. 8th of March, 1899. So I just found that uh, that fascinating. This this book was given to a student for uh, for complete attendance and good good conduct. But uh, I wanted to know, so this is a book about William Wallace. I wanted to know what was known about his life in the late 1800s. Uh, we obviously have the Braveheart movie to go by now, but I wanted to know what they were thinking then. And what, what's great about this book is it pulls from Blind Harry's account of William Wallace, which Blind Harry was a poet, and he wrote a poem where pretty much everything we know about William Wallace is is in that poem, other than the historical records. But Blind Harry lived 170, or he wrote the book 172 years after Wallace was dead. So again, it kind of goes back to that, um, the the book about David Crockett, the man versus myth. There, there's a lot of that discussion in this book as well. What's what's William Wallace, what's the man, who is the man, and, and what part of what we know about him is is the myth. And so what this book does is, is it takes Blind Harry's account and then compares that to what we know about Wallace from a historical record at the time in 1898. So we, we know even a little bit more now, but uh, it, it was interesting to, to look at that and then kind of compare it to Braveheart as well. So I'm going to have an episode coming up in the future where I compare what is in this book with what is in the movie Braveheart. And although Braveheart is is wrong historically on so much, I think what they captured in a lot of the different scenes, even though it was so wrong, it did point to something that actually happened. And so I'm going to go through that in in that episode. That'll probably be coming up in in January or or February of next year. But uh, that's kind of my main takeaway of of, of Wallace. Uh, One thing that stands out is they say when he was executed in London, he asked for the Psalter book to be placed in front of his face. And so he, he was looking at that. It was a book given to him by his mother. And he was looking at that the, the entire time during his execution. After that, Our Hope by Dmitri Dudko, Father Dmitri Dudko. He was a priest in the Russian Orthodox Church in Soviet Russia. So you can imagine that not being a very pleasant experience. And in, in fact, he was put into a gulag for eight and a half years in Siberia. Uh, and this book is is after that it's when he's a priest and he starts getting questions from his parishioners. And instead of just answering the questions to the individuals, he's realizing that, you know, a lot of other people have these same questions. So he starts addressing, addressing the questions during the, the, the services, the church services. And so this book is a collection of those discussions. It's It's a collection of these questions and answers. And it, what you what I've found in this reading project is some of the best books are written by those who are have suffered the most. I mean, you think Man's Search for Meaning, uh, some of the books about war where people have suffered um, as as prisoners of war or or as soldiers. Uh, Though you you just get you get lessons from suffering that that you the average person may never get or would just take so many years to to get those same lessons. It's kind of com- compacted in in a short period of, of, of suffering. So that, that, uh, that's one thing that stuck out in, in, in our hope. The other thing is, is that he, he, he was put into the gulag by the Soviet, by the, by the communists. 
and yet his his main beef is and the main thing he calls out as the problem is atheism and i just found that fascinating i think part of it was was political just so he wouldn't get get in trouble but i think the other side of it is is he identified a bigger problem than communism and and maybe even the source of of the problems of communism is is its basis in atheism uh, and, and so that was fascinating. I, I will cover this book in, in an upcoming episode, and I'm actually planning to, to have someone on the, the episode whose parents knew this, this priest in, in Russia. And, and so might be able to get, uh, kind of a, a deeper knowledge of, of this man's life, but that was a fascinating book. And, and if you're a pastor, I think this would be an excellent book, um, for you to read the final book for the year was Mouse. This is a comic book, but it is a comic written about the the w- w- World War II, but, but from the vantage point of Jewish persecution, a Jewish family uh, in Poland and their struggles through the Holocaust. But it's written from the point of view of the Jews are mice in this book and the Nazis are cats. And so it just, and it's a comic, but, uh, it, it, it just kind of takes you out of a, a regular book about world war two. And it, it was fascinating and, and, a, just a different way of, of portraying it, uh, through comics, through, through these drawings. And the thing that stuck out to me the most is just the ability to put information forward in a different way. And so with the, with this comic, there's one, there's one image in this book, one one part of one page of, of the comic, where the family is at a point where they they have to go they have to go somewhere and there there's just nowhere to go. And the picture is the roads that they can take, but the roads are in the symbol of a of a swastika. And it's not even very obvious. It's kind of like a side view, but if you if you look at the the way the roads are going. It, it's a swastika. And so it just, it just kind of puts into, uh, I, I don't, I, it, 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 it gives a picture of the impossibility of the situation. Any road that these people took trying to get out of Poland or, or get out of, uh, areas where the Jews were being sent to, to the prison camps, to, to Auschwitz, uh, any road you took was along this swastika was a, was a, a, a it, it was just an impossible situation and, and just seeing that picture of it even though it's a cartoon it just it, it it popped something in your head of like just the impossibility of the situation so it's one of those things uh, just dif- the ways you can communicate with different mediums um it made me want to read other other comics or, or other books in this format because there's things you can do that you can't do in just a, a, a regular book. I mean, you could describe how impossible the situation is, but but seeing that one image just really, I guess, put it into perspective. So that closes out the 45 books. Uh, in the next section, I'll go through some, some stats and my top five books for the year. Well, the plan this year was to read 52 books. I had a, a list set out for that amount, and I've made quite a few changes. I try not to do that generally uh, once I have the list set, but 2020 was a strange year, and I decided to make some changes along the way. 
Uh, overall, I read 45 books. Uh, most of them were on the original list, but I did make some changes and I'll highlight that in, in a minute here. Overall, I, I, I do a lot of tracking. I, I'm curious as to how long it takes to read the book. So I use the Bookly app to track. So anytime I'm reading, I just hit start and then uh, end when I'm, when I finish reading. And that helps me know how long it takes to read books. And I track that. I share it on the, on the website, uh, Books of Titans. And I share it one to for for you guys to know how long it would would take you to read a book. I read rather slowly. I take a lot of notes uh, while I'm reading, and so it just gives you an idea of of how long a book might take you. And then just on my side, personal curiosity of of how long books take, especially the classics. Uh, so it was for me, it's fascinating to know it take it takes around 110 hours to read the Bible, and I, I broke it down by book as well. How long each of the books took of uh, uh, the 66 books of the Bible took me to, to read. And that's on the Bible page on the books of Titans website. But yeah, you can, you can go on the website and see how long it took uh, each of the books, but overall total time of reading this year for these 45 books was 491 hours, 46 minutes and 21 seconds. That was 15,039 pages. So what I do is I, I take the number of pages that I'll be reading in a given year. So my originally my original list of 52 books, I, I added all those pages together and divided by 366 because this year was a leap year. So we had that extra day. And I realized I needed to be reading about 49 pages per day. For the Bible, I averaged about 30 per day. So for two months, you know, I was uh, getting behind in that sense, but that, that was fine. Uh, so it, I averaged 41 pages per per day for the year. And I didn't get through the following 12 books that were originally on my list. I had Euclid's Elements, and that is kind of a school textbook of math uh, back you know, 2000 plus years ago. And I wanted to do it just to, to see what it would be like to go through a, a math book like that and to, to, to learn that way. And I just, I started it, but I realized it was just going to take so long. So what I was planning to do is just a, a few math problems every day. And it just got overwhelmed with the year and, and didn't, didn't get to it. I, I also had gone with the wind on the list. Didn't realize when I put it on the list that it's a thousand plus page book. And I had some other big ones on the list this year. And, and that was one that I took off the infinite game by Simon Sinek. Just another one, again, that, uh, especially with the, the political books that I added, uh, the books by the candidates that uh, that was one that got removed. I took the entire Chronicles of Narnia series off, and that will be the first books that I, the first seven books that I read in 2021. My 2021 reading list is all based on series of books, and so it fit in with that series. And then I just I, I read 45 books out of the 52, so there's seven missing. Uh, the Narnia series that's um, those the seven books right there. So I had to get rid of some just to make it through. Uh, other books this year. The Call by Oz Guinness was another one that I wanted to to reread. That was a book I read 20 plus years ago. It was given to me by a mentor. And so I just wanted to see if, uh, again, kind of in, in, in part of that experiment, if a book that I'd read in the past would pack the same punch now. And then the other one was Pride and Prejudice. I started it <laughs> before, before Christmas and I just, I could not do it. Um, there's just with all the characters and I, I was taking notes. I read the first 30 pages and I had to start again with the first 30 pages. And 
I decided to put it down. I was planning to get to it again later this year, but uh, I just couldn't do it. And, and a lot of that was just a, a crazy year with work. And I just didn't have the brain power to, to dedicate to Pride and Prejudice. And I, I didn't just want to blow through the book. So that one was taken off the list. Maybe that will join a, another year's list. I added in the following books, uh, the four books by the candidates, Blood Meridian, and then Our Hope, that, uh, that book I read towards the end of the year by the, the Russian Orthodox priest. That was a book that was given to me as a gift for my, my birthday this year. And as I was nearing the end of the year, I, it was one that I, I wanted to read. And so I, I added that in kind of a, a last minute thing. For my top five books, uh, here they are in order. The Bible was number one. Uh, number two, The Great Gatsby. Number three, Crime and Punishment. Number four, Anti-Fragile. And number five, Pre- Frederick Douglass, Prophet of Freedom. I view this reading project as an, as an experiment, so I'm constantly trying new things. So here are a few ways that I experimented in 2020. Uh, I reread books. I reread books that had had a huge impact on my life. And most of the books I reread, I had not read for 20 or more years. And so that was uh, interesting, just seeing the difference in what a, a book did uh, previous in my life and what it did now in, in some I liked better this time, some I didn't like as much, but uh, just rereading books and even rereading Blood Meridian, uh, which I read three years ago, and and the difference in experience between those readings was really fascinating. I experimented with reading the the political books. I I try to to stay away from political books. I try to stay away from books that are recent books, Um, and I try to stay away from books that are written by the person about themselves, because there could be some bias in that. But uh, I I broke all those rules because I wanted to know more about the candidates. And despite the problems with those types of books, uh, I'm glad I did it. And I probably will do that in the future, uh, anytime there's a, a major election. I experimented with the comic book for Mouse. Uh, not into comics, never was as a kid. And uh, it, this is not a, a comic in the sense of like Calvin and Hobbes or, or, or something like this. It's more of a, of a picture book and, and just the ability to take you out of your mental models of how a situation was and, and just put it in a different format. So that, that's more of what this comic book was with, with Mouse. And, and it, it may be interested enough to, to maybe try some other comics in the future. And then the other experiment was uh, the, that Elements book by Euclid, and I ended up not getting through it, but I was wanting to experiment in in the sense of doing a school book, and for two purposes. One is just, I, I'm not that good at math, so so maybe going back and, and getting kind of the elements of, of, of geometry, uh, maybe that would help me in, in other areas. And then also just to for my own, my own daughters to, to see what it would be like to go through one of these ancient texts of, of, um, of math, of, of geometry and and see if that would be a good way to learn as opposed to, to going through a, um, a modern day textbook, uh, something in that effect. So overall, uh, I, I, it was a fun, fun year of reading. The, the, the books I reread were, were very enjoyable. Uh, reading through the Bible was, was difficult, uh, it took a long time, but it, it is one of the things I'm most proud about for this entire project, and, and I'm glad I did it, and I, I encourage 
other people to do it as well. Uh, you can read the book, the Bible through a, a whole year, like I, I had done in the past. But when you read it all together like that, it 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 it's a much different experience, and um, you 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 can tie more things together because you've just read it. Uh, you've read one part that that connects to another part. Jordan Peter Peterson calls the Bible the most hyperlinked. Uh, text in the, in the world. There's 60,000 plus connection points between the Bible, despite it being re, uh, written thousands of years apart and, and all that. Uh, so it's, 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 it's a fascinating, fascinating book. And, and, uh, if just, just at a basic level as, as a reader, uh, it, it's one that you need to have in your, your arsenal to understand so many other books. So it, it's, it's a good one to, to read. Uh, next segment, I'll, I'll just cover a few personal updates and going into 21, 2021, uh, my, my reading list. Well, 2020 is, is almost done. I'm recording this the morning of January 31st. It was a very tough year. I'm, I'm sure you guys all experienced uh, things you never thought you would experience and um so just want to share a few things on from my side and kind of how it relates to this to this reading project. Uh, on March 2nd of this year, I went to a concert. I went to see Collective Soul at the Ryman Auditorium. And as I was leaving that concert, I was going to my car. I took a photo because the sky looked so weird. And uh, it's it's a skyline shot. I mean, there's the the buildings of Nashville, and then just behind it, just this ominous sky. I drove home that night, and, and it was one of the weirdest storms I ever have driven in. The lightning was going sideways, and it was just odd. I woke up the next morning, the morning of March 3rd, and my wife told me that a tornado had ripped through Nashville. And about one hour after I took that photo, in about one mile away from where I took that, that photo, a tornado had, had touched down and uh, destroyed a, a lot of different parts of, of Nashville. And when I look back at the year, that was really a turning point. Uh, it's, it's like that unleashed something for the rest of, of the year. Uh, a, a week after that, on March 9th, I celebrated my 40th birthday. My wife surprised me with a party at the local bookstore here in Franklin, Tennessee. And that was Sunday, March 9th. The next day is when things started to shut down, uh, when, when things were starting to close and, and because of COVID. And so it's like it, it, that, that early March time period, you, it, it, there, there, there was a shift and then it's just like everything was unleashed. And, and we know the rest of the year, just the, the chaos and uh, it being a, an election year as well. Uh, I, I also do website development. That's my, my main work. And so as everything started moving online and, and physical stores and, and such starting to be closed, a, a lot of things moved online and, and my workload nearly doubled. And so I, I'm so thankful for that. Um, it, it, I, I love what I do. And, and so it was fun, but it it was also just a lot. And when it was combined with this reading project in, in that, uh, I'm working like crazy all day and it's a lot of, of mental thought in the, in the work. Um, it's not just like mowing a yard. Um, 
I would just be exhausted by the end of the day and, and I would still be wanting to read and, and do the, do the project. And so one thing I learned this year is, is, uh, even when I'm with my family, I try to read while my, my family is, is sleeping. And, and so to do that, I have to sacrifice some, some sleep some of the times, but I, I realized that, um, even while I was awake and I was with my family, my thoughts were going to the reading project. It was going to the books I was reading. It was going to podcast preparation. It was going to reviews of the books. Or it was just even thinking of the books and how they were connecting to other books and, 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 all, and all that. So I, my previous goal was to always have 52 books per year. Uh, this next year, I'm taking a step back and I'm going to to just do 35 for next year. And, and part of that is just to, to put a little more margin in my life. Um, it, it, the lack of sleep and the the lack of, of being fully present when I was with my when I'm with my family is is not something I I'm proud of and uh, it it kind of came to a head this year as well. So in 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 the next year I'm just taking a, a little step back. Uh, podcast wise, I'll be doing every other week again as opposed to to every week. And I I don't. I, I, if you listen to the episode of, of the 10 rules for reading, one of the episode, one of the rules is uh, family first. And I, I don't ever want things to get so involved with, uh, with this, that it, that it takes away from um, the most important things in life. So I will still be around. I'll still be reading. I love reading. This is not like a chore or a job. This is, this is pleasure. Um, but uh, just taking a, a, a step back in, in 2021. So for 2021, I, I have posted my my reading list on the website. It's it's based on series of books. So as I said, the first series will be the Chronicles of Narnia, and then um, I have just different series throughout the year. I'm, I'm going to read Harry Potter. I'm going to read uh, the Lord of the Rings series. I'm going to read a, a series about the Civil War, uh, about Lyndon B. Johnson by by Robert Caro, and and so the the theme of the year is is series. And uh, so I invite you to go to booksoftitans.com to see that series. You can also go to booksoftitans.com and see my 2020 reading list. I reviewed each book. I shared uh, how long it took to read each book. I rated each book. And so if you're looking for ideas for, for books to read, I hope this episode gave you some ideas, but then you can also go to the website and, and look there as well. I've, I've recently revamped a lot of the website, so uh, there, there's some new tools. There's a resource page. I have a spreadsheet that you can download for free. I don't even ask for your email address, but it's a spreadsheet to help you catalog your reading list and then also determine how many pages you need to read per day and that sort of thing. I am also working on an update. I have a list of all books ever suggested in the Tim Ferriss Show podcast, and I'm working on a revamp of that list that'll be more uh, interactive and, and searchable and, and all that kind of stuff. So keep an eye out for that probably um, early into 2021. So to recap, this reading project is an experiment. I'm constantly trying new things to see how I can read more books and remember what I read. I don't want to get through a magic number of books and then forget everything I've read. This episode itself is the test. This is my yearly test. I did it for the first time last year, but it's my yearly test to, to test myself on, on what I've remembered. And you know, one thing that really pops out is the books that I've covered on the podcast. I remember the books that I've, I've spent time reviewing. I remember the books that I just kind of blow through and, and don't really spend a lot of time on the review or, or I don't do a podcast episode about it. I forget. So it, it just kind of drives home these, these things of, here's things I have in place that help me to remember what 
I read. And if I do those, I'm more apt to read the book. It may seem like a very simple takeaway, but but in an effort to to want to to remember what I read, uh, that that has been very. Uh, just seeing how these different things impact my memory it has been really important. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you for listening. I'd love to hear from you. Um, many of you have been emailing me recently. You've been sharing your reading lists. You've been sharing um, your favorite books, and and I, I I love that. So please feel free to email me. Uh, that's one of the reasons I started this project is to connect with other other readers and to find out what other people were were reading. So. Um, also remember that I have that spreadsheet now on the the Books of Titans website. You can download it for free. I have it in Excel, Apple Numbers, and Google Docs formats to where you can track your reading list. And, and it just helps you know uh, how many pages you need to read per day. It has all sorts of equations so that you know how many pages you need to read per day of, of a year if you're trying to get us through a certain number of books. So um, feel free to, to download that. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do that. You can go to booksoftitans.com forward slash support. I'm also uh, adding some some merchandise to the website. So I've got a coffee mug up there right now. And a very important part of any person's reading life is uh, coffee. So if you want a coffee mug that says Books of Titans on it, I have that on the resources page of the, the website. You can also follow Books of Titans on Instagram or Twitter at Books of Titans. And the website is stock full of resources, even more resources now as I've, I've been doing this revamp that help you find the best books and to create your own reading list. I'll be back in a few weeks. I'll be discussing uh, either Life of Wallace or Our Hope. And until then, keep reading, keep learning, and keep listening. I'm out.